Canadian Prime Minister Justin Trudeau going full fascist, announcing his government is invoking the Emergencies Act, essentially Canada's version of martial law. The act grants the government enormous powers to suspend the civil liberties of Canadians. Trudeau's move is giving us a good indication of the lengths to which Western governments will go to defend the power they've gained during the COVID-19 pandemic. I'll give you my thoughts on Canada's lurch toward authoritarianism in tonight's Hold the Line. The federal government has invoked the Emergencies Act to supplement provincial and territorial capacity to address the blockades and occupations. Welcome to Hold the Line. I'm Buck Sexton. That was Prime Minister Trudeau of Canada announcing his implementation of Canada's Emergencies Act. This is the first time the act has ever been invoked. Now, let's just start with why is he doing this? Well, of course, it's in response to the trucker protest in Ottawa, but there are supposed to be statutory, legal reasons for why you could or should do this. The Emergencies Act may be invoked for the following reasons. Espionage or sabotage, foreign influence activities, threats or use of acts of serious violence for political, religious, or ideological objectives, covert, unlawful acts intended to undermine or overthrow the constitutionally established government. So basically, insurrection, domestic terrorism, or some foreign plot to harm the country. None of that applies here. None of that is actually in any way the situation. Here's what's really going on. The left in Canada has completely lost its mind. They're acting like lunatics over ongoing vaccine mandates and a host of other pandemic restrictions that don't work. Get a grip, libs. Doesn't work. And so that's why we look at this and say, what's the point? What exactly are they trying to accomplish with all this? It feels a lot like maybe what they just want here is power. And they want to continue to wield power in a way that is in excess of what they could do before the pandemic. And where does this leave us now? You have truckers who are not budging, and you have a government that with Trudeau, the leftist pseudo-intellectual beta male running the show, He may, in fact, decide to send in the police because he has expanded the toolkit. We'll get into that in a second. But first, he's promising everybody, don't worry, my use of this unprecedented, effectively martial law declaration is going to be, like, really limited. Watch. I want to be very clear. The scope of these measures will be time-limited, geographically targeted, as well as reasonable and proportionate to the threats they are meant to address. The Emergencies Act will be used to strengthen and support law enforcement agencies at all levels across the country. This is about keeping Canadians safe, protecting people's jobs, and restoring confidence in our institutions. Huh. Wait a second. What exactly does that mean? Now, why declare martial law effectively and then say, don't worry, it's going to be like a really gentle, be very Canadian-style martial law, you could say. Well, what does that look like? When you are the first person, the first prime minister since this law was uh, passed in, I believe it was 1988, to use this, people would say, well, hold on a second. We're talking about now over 30 years that this has not been invoked, and you're going to tell us that this is going to be just a 
a straightforward, a gentle application of this law? What if the truckers don't move? What if they don't want to cave? Because let's be honest, Trudeau's government could collapse over this. Canada and obviously a lot of the lockdown libs in this country are watching this very closely, would be the first time that pro-freedom, anti-mandate, and lockdown forces were able to overcome the lunacy of these authoritarian governments in the West. But Trudeau is saying that police, for example, are going to be given more tools to restore order. Watch. The police will be given more tools to restore order in places where public assemblies can constitute illegal and dangerous activities, such as blockades and occupations, as seen in Ottawa, the Ambassador Bridge, and elsewhere. These tools include strengthening their ability to impose fines or imprisonment. The government will designate, secure, and protect places and infrastructure that are critical to our economy and people's jobs, including border crossings and airports. We cannot and will not allow illegal and dangerous activities to continue. So what does that mean? Is he going to send the cops in to attack these protesters who have attacked no one? Is he going to send men with guns, badges, and truncheons in to bludgeon people in front of their families for civil disobedience and peacefully protesting? Is that what's going to happen here? Possibly. One thing that we know is almost certain to happen is the usage of this martial law status in Canada to seize funds, to seize bank accounts, not just of the protesters, the truckers themselves, but seize the bank accounts of anyone who actually tries to donate to these protesters. And they can do so without a court order. Here's the idiot Deputy Prime Minister of Canada, Krisha Freeland, saying they're just going to take your money if they decide that maybe it's going to the protesters. Watch. The government is issuing an order with immediate effect under the Emergencies Act authorizing Canadian financial institutions to temporarily cease providing financial services where the institution suspects that an account is being used to further the illegal blockades and occupations. This order covers both personal and corporate accounts. As of today, a bank or other financial service provider will be able to immediately freeze or suspend an account without a court order. So treating them basically like this is financing domestic terror, you understand that's what's really going on here. Huh. It's amazing, isn't it? Going after the finances of this in a way that seems to be really extra legal, if not, uh, if not illegal, flatly based on Canadian law. Oh, but there's a state of emergency, so I guess the laws don't really count anymore. That's what they're declaring here, just like with COVID. It's an emergency. Shut up, peasants. The Constitution, your rights, none of that matters. Emergency. Didn't you hear the word? Ezra Levant, who runs Rebel News up there, one of the few independent Canadian news organizations, it's all state media up there, he had this tweet today, Trudeau CBC state broadcaster, because Canadian broadcasting is in fact state, uh, state funded, is combing through the illegally hacked database of give, send, go donors and emailing donors, asking them to explain themselves. 
Uh, so they are now harassing people. So there's hacked information about donors, and now they're trying to frighten the donors. This, this friends, is bare-knuckle politics on display. And it could get violent, but I hope the truckers stand firm. I hope they bring down the Trudeau regime and win a huge, a huge battle right now over freedom and the future, not just of Canada, but the whole Western world. We'll have more on this with journalist from Canada-based Rebel News, Adam Sos, when we come back. Let's talk about protecting your most valuable asset first. How devastated would you be if a criminal stole all the equity in your home? This crime is happening all over the U.S., and there's one company standing between you and these thieves, Home Title Lock. The FBI calls home title fraud one of the fastest-growing crimes, which is why you need HomeTitleLock.com, America's leader in home title protection. Here's the problem. The deed to your home is the only document that proves you own it, and the deeds to all our homes are online now. In minutes, a criminal can forge your name off the deed to your home and refile as the new owner. The crime can cause you to spend a fortune in legal fees when the thieves take out loans in your name. It can even lead to eviction. Common identity theft services do not protect you from this crime. HomeTitleLock.com is your peace of mind. The deed to your home is protected. Visit HomeTitleLock.com. Again, that's HomeTitleLock.com. Rebel News is Adam Sos joins us when we come back. Stay with us. Canadian truckers appear defiant despite Prime Minister Trudeau invoking the Emergency Act to crush the protest. Many Canadians are coming to their defense, including the Canadian Civil Liberties Association, who argued the protests do not meet the high standard to warrant Trudeau's power grab. The CCLA criticized the Prime Minister, tweeting, The Emergencies Act can only be invoked when a situation seriously threatens the ability of the government of Canada to preserve the sovereignty, security, and territorial integrity of Canada, and when the situation cannot be effectively dealt with under any other law of Canada. Emergency powers should not be normalized because they are a threat, of course, to normal democratic governance, right? Joining me now, journalist for Rebel News up in Canada, Adam Sos. Adam, thanks for being with us. Happy to be here. Thanks for having me. So was this a bit of a shock to the Canadian people when Trudeau actually went through with this? My understanding is first time they've ever invoked this specific Canadian statute, uh, were, were people surprised or was this really expected? Yeah, you know, to be perfectly honest, uh, they say this is the first time that this statute particularly has been brought into effect. But the reality is, is this is the new version of the War Measures Act, which has been basically brought into play a couple times throughout history, World War One, World War Two, And then when we had the uh, liberation crisis with separatists in Quebec who had kidnapped and effectively murdered um, an extremely serious situation. So that the last time that was implemented and in that instance, there was massive overreach, overstep, and it wasn't just stopping that threat in Quebec. It was significant uh, action and arrests of political opponents. Well, you can guess who did that. It was Trudeau, not Justin, but his dad, Pierre Elliott. Um, so we are looking very much at a nepotism in a, in a level that you'd see in, in some of these uh, third world countries or communist countries um, where, where there's a sort of legacy of tyranny. Now, we've had some uh, arguably fairly elected representatives in between that window, um, but you're looking at uh, the, the nepotism of sorts within the Trudeau family. Um, and, and the last time that these measures were brought into effect, though they were under a different name, was in fact his dad. I don't think Canadians were shocked or surprised. Um, the rhetoric 
that Justin Trudeau has been using, the language he's been using, the vilification of these people from the very get-go has been pretty transparently uh, utilized to set this up and justify this sort of action. The fact of the matter is, though, even mainstream media is starting to shift to at least some extent on this. Five provinces opposed the implementation of this Emergencies Act. And as you can see, some civil liberties organizations are at least starting to say, no, this is too much. Um, for those who aren't necessarily aware, um, effectively the bridge at Windsor, the Ambassador Bridge has been cleared. The Coots blockade is rolling out presently. Um, and most provinces are starting to revoke restrictions and mandates in pretty significant ways. Um, so for everyone observing this objectively, the truckers made their point, the provinces, the, the federal opposition, everyone is saying it's time to move on, we have to get past this. And in response to this, Justin Trudeau invokes dramatic legislation, giving them extremely problematic powers at this time. Trudeau is claiming, Adam, I mean, this is remarkable to see the positions this guy has taken over the course of this. He's trying to say that there's really no issue over the vaccine mandate program, that that's not dividing Canadians. Watch this. High vaccination rates and strong public health measures are still seeing backlashes against those measures and uh, frustration by people who are tired of this pandemic and the impact of uh, social media and uh, illicit funding of concerted activities designed to destabilize a country that has the highest vaccination rate of many of our peer countries, Canada, uh, around an issue that is not dividing Canadians. Canadians are united in having been there for each other through this pandemic, and they're even united in being sick and tired of this pandemic. Seems like he's a little, what, disconnected, perhaps delusional? I mean, what, why are yeah. so many people supporting the truckers if there's nothing to be divided about? And I think the term we could use here is he's a little bit sociopathic. Um, he's an individual who cannot admit fault in any circumstance whatsoever. When there was allegations of uh, sexual assault, he said that the person must have clearly misremembered it. When he wore blackface, he didn't say sorry um, in those blatant terms. He said, this is a learning opportunity for all of us. And when the nation is more divided than ever, so divided that he thinks he needs to implement the Emergencies Act, he suggests that the nation is not at all divided because Justin Trudeau is all about sunny ways and he wouldn't divide people. But when we look out on the streets, he's saying these people are villains. He's saying they're violent. He's miscategorizing and vilifying them. Even liberal Bill Maher is saying that some of his rhetoric, and I'm using his words, is very reminiscent of some of the things Hitler said. That's a liberal American pundit saying that. It's not a staunch conservative or a member of the truck convoy. That's a member of the liberal media suggesting that some of his rhetoric is so problematic. And even even in that, he, he's he's saying that there's no division whatsoever. I, I was covering this story. I was with these protesters. I can assure you, I was incredibly comfortable leaving expensive camera gear, leaving my vehicle unlocked. You never went hungry. People were feeding everybody, taking care of each other. It was the least violent thing you could imagine. Even when they rolled out of coots at the blockade there, they shook hands, hugged the police, said we've made our point and at least the mandates, at least the restriction portion with the vaccine mandates is over. But the fact of the matter is here, like Justin Trudeau said there, most of these people who are protesting are not protesting against vaccines. They aren't anti-vax. 
what they are is anti-coercion. They're pro-free medical choice. So what they're opposing is the fact that thousands of people after years and years of loyal service have been fired on the spot, received no severance and are basically left in ruins. They're protesting medical coercion and they're protesting having to be vaccinated to participate in society. That's a pretty sensible opinion. And that's why we're seeing the general population, people who have gone along with this, perhaps the majority starting to shift and stand with the truckers instead of these politicians. Deputy Prime Minister is certainly not standing with the truckers, Adams, I'm sure you know. This statement came out from the Deputy Prime Minister. Consider yourselves warned, if your truck is used in these blockades, your uh, corporate accounts will be frozen, the insurance on your vehicle will be suspended, send your rigs home. Kind of like financial warfare being waged by the state here against these individuals involved in, as you pointed out, peaceful and safe protest. You can find our uh, deputy minister there, by the way, on the board members list for the World Economic Forum, for those interested in those types of things. So she's doing that while serving as deputy minister. So very interesting indeed. The extent of the economic warfare being waged here, though, is more problematic than you could possibly imagine. What they've done under this Emergencies Act is effectively given carte blanche to financial institutions to shutter accounts entirely, to freeze accounts, lock them out. Um, They've also implemented new measures, which effectively insist that any of these crowdfunding campaigns, which have largely been frozen, must report all their issues to basically a financial tracking organization, FinTrack, which is a a Canadian intelligence agency that tracks this sort of thing. So the, the overreach is troubling. They've also implemented measures where they can commandeer tow trucks, because to be blunt, the tow truck companies that they asked to move these truckers simply weren't doing it. A number issued public statements saying we're not doing this. So not only did they mandate that they can actually seize those trucks, commandeer those vehicles, they have actually also mandated that they can force tow truck drivers to drive those trucks and clear trucks as needed. They're effectively commandeering human beings for their purposes, which is startling. So there's there's personal attacks, there's economic uh, warfare here, and very much a large percentage of what is going on here is directed at targeting people who have provided either ideological or financial support. There was, there was loose sort of uh, uh, associations that anyone, let's say a grandma gave $25, $50 to the GoFundMe or the Give, Send, Go to support these truckers, they use the language of it, of supporting terrorism, supporting terrorism for these peaceful protests. Just, just, I want to ask you, Adam, because you're you're so close in on these issues. The uh, police chief of Ottawa has resigned, Peter Slally. I'm not sure if that's how you say his name, uh, but w- did he resign? Why? Because he didn't want to enforce Trudeau's uh, elevated police actions against the truckers. Is he is he kind of? Pro trucker, and you know what's the situation? Yeah, Why do you resign? It's so, so I mean, I think on on the broader scale, it is clearly that uh, I think people in Ottawa, well, by people in Ottawa, I mean Laurentian elite liberal politicians, um, wanted this to be absolutely hammered down. And this is this is a brand new story, even for us here. We're just getting this information, but it seems very likely that he did not enact the level of force that politicians from Justin Trudeau all the way down might have liked to clear off the streets. Um, beyond that, and there's a question of to what extent this is true, there was some talk that he had he had speak, uh, spoken perhaps inappropriately to some other senior officers. So it was a, they're, they're, they're saying both of those things. Now, which one of those factored in more prominently? 
guessing, and this is this is not a confirmed report, but I'd suggest the fact that the situation extended and Justin Trudeau is unhappy about it factored in more than him speaking less than kindly to some senior officers. All right. Adam, great reporting as always, man. Come back and tell us how this thing finishes out. Will do. Thanks so much for having me. Filing in federal court by special counsel John Durham shed new light on efforts by the Clinton campaign to create a false narrative about Donald Trump's relationship with the Russian government. Of course, you wouldn't know a thing about it if you were watching the legacy-led media, which seems all too happy to ignore the revelations. We've got more on the Durham probe bombshell with the president of Judicial Watch, Tom Fitton, coming up. I want to talk to you, talk to you first about protecting your online data. A lot of companies promise your privacy is guaranteed, but we know that's not true. That's why you need a new privacy and cybersecurity application tool called Secure. It's spelled S-E-K-U-R. Secure is using proprietary encryption and is offering secure instant messaging and email. With Secure, all of your communications based on servers and data centers hosted in Switzerland. No big tech platforms, no spying on you. Look, Secure will never mine your data, never ask for your phone number. You can send emails to your doctor, banker, lawyer, or anyone else with total confidence that you're not being spied on. Secure is your solution to stop the constant theft of your digital identity. It costs only $5 for the messenger, only $10 for the messenger and email combo package. Go to secure.com and take back your privacy today. That's S-E-K-U-R.com. Use promo code BUCK for 25% off. We'll be right back with more. Hold the line. A federal court filing from special counsel John Durham claims that Hillary Clinton's 2016 campaign paid a tech company to mine data from servers at the White House and Trump Tower. Here's what White House spokesperson Karine Jean-Pierre had to say when questioned about that bombshell claim. Does the president have any concerns about a candidate for president uh, using computer experts to infiltrate computer systems um, of competing candidates or even the president-elect to you for the goal of creating a narrative? Is that something that... That's something I can't speak to from this podium, so I, I refer you to the Department of Justice. Is, is what was described in that report monitoring internet traffic, is, is that spying? Again, I can't speak to that report. You, I, I refer you to the Department of Justice. Since then, ex-DNI John Ratcliffe has said to expect more indictments in Durham's Russiagate probe. Joining me now is the president of Judicial Watch, Tom Fitton. Tom, thanks for being with us. Hey, good to be with you, Buck. So, you know, we, we, there's so much Russia gate information, Russia collusion, Durham probe, Mueller probe, all this stuff. It is a long and complicated saga, to be sure. Can you just, in, in layman's terms, because I know you're, you're really on this, following it very closely, but to t- tell us what's new here? Why are we talking about this again? Well, I mean, when you go back, the concern was during the 2016 campaign when Trump was running for the presidency, you had uh, the Obama administration, quote, spying on candidate Trump uh, using uh, specious reasons that he was involved with the Russians. Uh, Now we, and, and part of the reason they were doing that was because Hillary was putting material before them suggesting uh, that was the material that was obviously false, the dossier suggesting there was something there. Now, on top of that, we've learned through Durham that Hillary Clinton, in addition to, quote, writing, uh, doing some creative writing projects uh, concerning Mr. Trump in Russia, uh, actually had some folks associated with the campaign who were also, quote, spying on Trump. Uh, they were looking at his computer traffic and they were drawing. Uh, fake conclusions, according to Durham, 
and then trying to shop that to the FBI, lying about why they were visiting the FBI initially in terms of shopping it. Now we learn from Durham that it continued after he was elected president and became president. And Durham suggests that they may have been watching his computer networks in the executive office of the president, in addition to at his home and in Trump Tower, and they shopped that to the CIA. And of course, the CIA, I, I'm not aware of the CIA is doing anything about that um, uh, criminal uh, invasion of President Trump's privacy. Uh, so that's where we are. I mean, we've got this operation going on uh, that used these computer tech people who evidently had government contracts that gave them unique access to this type of information. And they leveraged that access, in my view, according, you know, if terms to be believed, outrageously illegally, <laughs> if I could put those two words together, uh, to spy on Trump and his family. Here's some of the filing, just to want to have you react to it, Tom. The government's evidence at trial, this comes directly from the court filing, will establish that among the internet data tech executive one and his associates exploited was domain name system internet traffic pertaining to a particular healthcare provider, Trump Tower, Donald Trump Central Park West apartment building, and the executive office of the president of the United States. Uh, so can it, this, it, first of all, is this all legal? I mean, like, like, you look at this, you say, hold on, how could they get that information? Or is that public domain? Are they hacking? What's going on just with the actual specifics in that allegation? I don't know how it could possibly be legal. I, I'm no lawyer. I'm no prosecutor. But, you know, we've been around the block when and we understand, you know, contracting law and, you know, what you're allowed to do for an employer, for instance, with the employer's resources. And here you have uh, access being given to computer information uh, about the networks of the president of the United States and, and Trump personally. And that was leveraged not for the purposes of the contract, evidently, but for uh, uh, political uh, spying, it, it's so it's really illegal in a in, in a way that dramatically, in my view, uh, escalates escalates liability for the campaign that allegedly was behind it, namely Hillary Clinton. I mean, that's you know that that brings this uh, potential criminal uh, list of crimes. Um, there's a whole new list of crimes. Uh, that it raises as it relates to the campaign and those who may have known about this. President Trump put out this statement in response to, well, the, the corrupt political press. He, he wrote, can you imagine that what should be the biggest story of our time, bigger than Watergate, is getting absolutely zero mention in the New York Times, Washington Post, ABC fake news, NBC fake news, CBS, et cetera, et cetera, ratings dead CNN. This in itself is a scandal. It shows how totally corrupt and shameless the media is. Uh, yeah, I mean, it's very clear there's a partisan bent to who will even talk about. I mean, the Durham probe is very real. It's a special counsel. The Mueller probe was treated day in and day out like it had the seriousness of the bombing of Pearl Harbor or something. And yet here we are, the Durham probe, they're like, meh, whatever. Yeah, filings for special counsel Mueller were, were treated as something had uh, come down, you know, with Moses. And uh, we needed to pay attention. Here we have the U.S. government through Durham uh, making these uh, allegations that you plainly lay out. And uh, President Trump is wrong. What they're doing is they're actually um, 
the media is covering it now. The legacy media, they're using, they're covering it by attacking the right wing media for covering it. That's that's their analysis here. That oh, we're not going to report what's in Durham's uh, report, other than to minimize it and attack those lunatic conservatives for actually raising issues about spying on the president. Over at uh, MSNBC, there is a former conservative host who had this to say. Really just the most important thing is, of course, Hillary has nothing to do with this. Watch. But they said, quote, paid for. That's something else. People are desperately trying to connect Hillary Clinton uh, with this lawyer, giving him money, saying, go spy on Donald Trump. That never happened. What do you say to that? I mean, it was done in her name. It was done on her behalf. I mean, they paid for it. They paid for the dossier and they paid for this operation. And that's what Durham's alleging. And to say otherwise, uh, I, you know, I, I don't know if he's misinformed or lying or a little bit of both. Uh, but, Dur- you know, Hillary Clinton's up to her neck on this. And um, the other issue is, it seems to me, with Hillary Clinton is that she's been questioned by Durham about what she knew. I mean, that's going to be cleared up, right? In theory. What do the documents show? What does the testimony show? And has Hillary Clinton been questioned uh, or will she? Tom, thanks for being with us. Always good to see you. You're welcome. Thank you. As if the rise of inflation wasn't enough, Democrats are now considering a tax hike that could take effect making less than four, uh, for families making less than $400,000 per year. We've got more on that with Texas Congressman Kevin Brady when we come back. As if the rise of inflation wasn't enough, Democrats are now considering a tax hike that could affect families making less than $400,000 per year, which, of course, would be in huge contradiction to what Biden says all the time. No one under 400K. Yeah, right. We got more on this with Texas Congressman Kevin Brady right now. Uh, Texas Congressman Brady, good to have you, sir. Good to see you, Buck. Thanks for having me. So here's what's going on. We've got... Tax hikes now being considered. We got a 40 year inflation high, and we're being told that, oh, don't worry, it won't go up for anybody else, meaning if you don't make more 400K. Turns out that's not really true. What's going on here? Yeah, that is not uh, true at all. In fact, that 40 year inflation rate, uh, we, got, we got more bad news today. The wholesale prices went up twice the increase most people expected. A lot of Main Street businesses say they're being forced to pass that down. Uh, those price hikes down to their customers. So, you know, it's another big uh, red flag that says, look, the last thing Washington should do right now is fuel more inflation with government spending or raise taxes on Americans, especially businesses that uh, either raise their prices uh, or frankly, their workers, you know, get the tax hikes uh, and bear the burden. And that's what happens. Looks like uh, the Senate or Democrats, excuse me, are looking at trying to revive the tax hikes. Buck, in some ways, I don't think they ever left. They're always looming out there. And I think they've already had an impact, a bad one, on the economy. But they're looking at some kind of pared down, build back better, maybe a trillion and a half dollars. The bad news of all that is that's a trillion and a half of new taxes on our employers, our job creators, on people who invest in America. And ultimately, don't take my word for it, the Congressional Budget Office and even the left-leaning a liberal tax policy center admit that it will be families making far less than 400,000 a year. In fact, low, moderate income, middle-class families 
will ultimately bear the cost of those taxes. So the left is hoping to still resurrect their party's economic agenda, but they got a big problem, right? Senator Joe Manchin and, uh, you know, you've also got uh, Kirsten Sinema. They're opposed yeah. to what could go on here. Manchin has pointed to raising the corporate tax rate to 25% from 21%, raising the top capital gains rate to 28% from 23.8%, and increasing taxes on private equity managers' carried interest income. What do you think about all that? I mean, one, is it a good idea? And two, is it, is it possible that might actually all come to pass here? You know, I worry it could come to pass. Uh, it is really bad idea, especially for states like West Virginia, because the rest of the world wasn't standing still after we passed the Trump tax cuts, became the most competitive economy in the world. About a dozen countries followed suit, lowering their rates so they could compete, you know, against American businesses, large and small. And so for America, trying to fight our way out of a, an economic uh, um, a crisis, to be raising our taxes on businesses, punishing Americans who are most likely to invest back in our local community, back in our local businesses, uh, would be a colossal mistake. I think what we will see is jobs moving back overseas uh, where it is more affordable and they've lowered their taxes. I think will become this will be an economic surrender to countries like China, uh, Japan, Europe, and others. And it will cost us uh, a lot of jobs and uh, I think hurt the economy in a major way. Congressional Budget Office and the Penn Wharton budget model have estimated that Biden's inflation tax, if you think of inflation as a tax, a very regressive one at that, costs the typical family $5,000 a year, hits the middle class and those who starting their career or families the hardest. I mean, what, what is the driver of this inflation? And are your expectations, well, what are your expectations for this year? Yeah, my expectations, it will grow, go higher and it will last longer. And uh, a new survey out Friday, just uh, looking at consumer sentiment, where they think inflation will go. Two out of three Americans believe that inflation will outpace their paychecks for the next three to five years. So average families feel like it is here to stay. And when I say average families pay $5,000 more last year, we're talking about a warehouse worker married to a housekeeper. You know, that average family making about $60,000 a year, they just get hammered with inflation. And the president first denied it really existed, dismissed it pretty much. And now I think has taken all the wrong steps to make it worse. So look, we're still in this fight against inflation. And right now, you know, our opponent is the White House and to some degree, the Fed. So Manchin is pushing Democrats, according to the Wall Street Journal, to revisit tax rate hikes. Uh, but cinema could present a roadblock too here. Raising yeah. taxes enough to more than offset the bill's spending would reduce the budget deficit and fight inflation, Mr. Manchin said, addressing concerns that led him to oppose the White House uh, passed package, or sorry, the House passed package last year. Why can't we just get a good solid tax plan that works, he said. That's the first thing to do. Well, can we get a good solid tax plan? Uh, I guess when Republicans are in charge, but then can we get a president that will actually sign it? Might be a while. Yeah. You know, here's the good news, Buck. We have one. It's in place. It's the Trump Republican tax cuts. It vaulted America, the most number one competitive economy in the world, lifted millions out of America. We saw paychecks go up twice as fast as inflation. And that's why so many low, moderate, blue collar workers saw the biggest gains in their household budgets. In fact, in one year, 2019, bigger than all eight years 
of the Obama-Biden White House. And so look, we have a good tax code in place. It can be better. And you will expect Republicans when they take back the House to be advancing, whether the president vetoes or not, advancing some more tax relief, including permanent, making permanent all those tax cuts on families and small businesses. What do you think the Biden regime is gonna do this year? I mean, you told us what we can do. What are they gonna do? I mean, it looks like we're just gonna have a lot of squabbling without a lot of movement. Yeah, I think they're gonna, I think they're gonna try to rebrand themselves after disasters 2021, where most Americans have lost confidence in this White House, economically, on the border, in military defense, on crime, all these issues. You, you've seen them starting to rebrand themselves as the supporters of law enforcement rather than defund the police movement. I don't think that's gonna sell. I don't think they're gonna course correct, Buck, where they actually sit down with Republicans and try to solve some problems. I think they're gonna stay on their agenda. They're just going to quote message better as they like to call it because they think, I guess they assume the American public isn't very smart, can't see through all this, but I think they're dead wrong. Congressman, always appreciate you being with us. Thank you, sir. Good, good to see you, Buck, thanks. In an interview with The New Yorker, squad member Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez claims there is quote, a very real risk that the US will not be a democracy in 10 years and will return to Jim Crow. We'll talk about this crazy, crazy assertion coming up in tonight's Quick Hits. One woman says the reason why she doesn't stand for the Pledge of Allegiance is because it was made for cis straight white men. Right. And apparently snow people is the new and only appropriate term for snowman. Friends, it is time for Quick Hits. First, uh, we got to think about how the Democrats elevate people in their ranks, politically speaking and otherwise, who are shockingly dumb. I mean, like, it's actually pretty wow sometimes. And among the least intellectually capable but influential and very powerful within the Democrat Party ranks is Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez. And we've reached a point where the Democrats never feel like they have extended their hysteria beyond what they can actually back up. They wallow in hysteria. They like to get hysterical about things, especially when it comes to the threats to our democracy. And so here is AOC in an interview with The New Yorker, where she says, well, I'll let, I'll let you hear it from her. I think there's a very real risk that we will not. I think what we risk is having a, a, a government that perhaps postures as a democracy and may try to pretend that it is, but isn't. We're never beyond hope, but we've already seen the opening silos of this. You have, you know, white nationalist reactionary politics starting to grow into a critical mass. I think we will return to Jim Crow. I think that's what we risk. Return to Jim Crow, white, the, the big threat here, the white nationalists, of course. It must just be quite a thing to wake up and be so delusional every day. It must be amazing, you know? Oh yes, I'm sure the, 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 the rise in violent crime all across America, it's, it's the white nationalists. They're the ones that 
are responsible. You know, inflation, that's not Biden's fault, it's the white nationalists. Blame anything on these white nationalists. Somehow I've lived in this country for 40 years. Never met a white nationalist, but nonetheless, we're told that they're the biggest threat in the country. Pretty crazy. All right, now switching gears here for a second. In a self-recorded video, a black woman who's a teacher asks if black people ever have the urge to randomly scare white people in public to make them think that, quote, today is the day of retaliation. Watch this. Black people, black people, colors only. I got a question. So you ever standing in public, right? You stand in public and you see white people. Do you ever get the urge to just... You know, <laughs> you know, like you're minding your business, like they're kind of minding their business, and you just, just to scare them, just to scare them a little, just to scare them a little bit, just to scare them a little bit, just to give them the feeling like today's the day, today's the day that black people start retaliating, just to give them a little bit of the, the burning feeling inside. No, just me. Um, let me know. It must be amazing to go through life uh, with so much bitterness against people who have done nothing to you, but quite strange, uh, quite a weird moment there. But you do have the uh, libs of TikTok account, for example, showing you more and more of the inside of a, of a leftist mind, and it is it's not good. So here's a guy who asked people, uh, ask why do people get offended when people want to make things gender neutral, like saying <laughs> snow people instead of snowman. Watch it. So I was just walking through the park today, overheard this beautiful conversation between this mom and her son, where she said, hey, look at all those snow people. And her son, he's like eight, almost defensively was like, you mean a snowman? And she was like, well, why does it have to be a man? And I think while this is like relevant to the conversation of um, some groups of people saying this type of talk is just being politically correct, I think a better question is, why are people still getting offended when we make things gender neutral? Well, snow people would also be plural, right? So is it snow person? Still quite strange to even care about this uh, because it's been snowman for a long time. What's wrong with snow? Let's play the game the other way. What's wrong with snowman? Can there be a man made of snow? Well, no, of course, there can't be a person made of, any, of snow, period, any gender. But folks, you got to remember the left is crazy. I mean, you watch the show, you the left is nuts. Just understand that. They, they're, they're cuckoo. It's not, not all working up there. Um, oh, look, here's a leftist woman who explains why she doesn't stand for the Pledge of Allegiance. Check this one out. For all people in my comments asking why I don't stand for the pledge. First of all, it says under God, and I'm a socialist witch because under God was added due to the Red Scare because communism was godless. As for the freedom and justice for all line, we are not there yet. And when the pledge was written and when the constitution was written, we definitely did not have freedom and justice for all because their vision of the future was only cis straight white men. This country was built on the genocide of Native Americans and built on the backs of black people. It was implemented after World War II to a wave of nationalism and it's brainwashing and indoctrination. It's brainwashing and indoctrination because you're societally pressured to stand for the pledge and you're outcasted otherwise. I don't I mean, <laughs> right? Like, okay, I mean, that's it for tonight's Hold the Line. The No Spin News at Bill O'Reilly is next. Shields high.